Well, it's lovely to be able to uh, open the word with you. Um, it's great to be in the room with family and to be able to speak to those at home as well at the same time. God's with us, isn't he? It's been wonderful to just uh, have that time of worship together. Just felt the theme coming through of God's heart for us. Uh, so, uh, so rich and it was such a blessing. And I, and I really felt as I was preparing this week that that's something of the theme that God wants to share with us through the word today as well. His heart for the lost, his heart for the broken, his heart for us. As we look, we're continuing Luke, as we have said, and throughout this series, we've talked about how the trajectory, the journey that Jesus is on is this journey towards the cross, towards Jerusalem. We've, we've come up We've talked about many times in this service already, and, and next week we will celebrate the culmination, the climax of his ministry, of his mission is Jerusalem. It's the cross. It's the death, the execution of Jesus, and the consequent resurrection, where he accomplished what we could not accomplish for us. So we're going to enjoy that next week. And it just so happens that we are right, we've arrived today in the text at the last week of his life. Now, slightly unfortunate, we haven't done it perfectly. So we're going to go, next week we're going to celebrate Easter, then we're going to go backwards in time again, and then we're going to come to the cross again. But there's never, never too much of the, of the cross and resurrection that we can enjoy understanding and plumbing the depths of. So uh, today we, we come up to the last week of Jesus' life as he, as he enters Jerusalem and um, let's pick it up in verse 41 of chapter 19. Verse 41, chapter 19. says this. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us. By what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of Jesus from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where, he came, where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. 
When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Father, I just want to lift up this word to you now as we uh, hear this pulled apart a little bit. We try to understand what's going on here. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would bring the revelation that you want to bring today. I pray for soft hearts. I pray give us ears to hear. And I ask, Father, that we would understand your heart for us. That we would cherish it. That we would accept it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, quite a lot of ground covered there. But Jesus is entering Jerusalem and... As he does, we see that God is emotional. Jesus is emotional. I don't know how you think of God when you think of maybe his attitude towards you. Do you think of this non-entity in the sky, this, this, this thing without a face that is just, it's just, it's impersonal. I don't know if you saw the, uh, I think it was BBC production of Jesus of Nazareth in the 80s and 90s where Robert Powell played Jesus, and he was just stone-faced all the time, just quite cold. And yet here we see Jesus weeping. We see Jesus angry. We see him uh, quite strong. We see him bringing warnings. We see an emotional God. Jesus is an emotional God, the God that he reveals to us. He is the face of God. He is the face. When we say, you know, he is the image of the invisible God. Yes, we're not lying. God is, we're not, uh, we're, we're not completely, uh, what's the word? I don't know. <laughs> we, we, we know that, that God is an invisible God, but Jesus is revealed as the image of that God. Jesus is, is revealed as the face of God. And the first thing we see here is his heart is broken as he looks out upon Jerusalem. His heart is broken. What breaks Jesus' heart? That's what we're going to start looking at here. What, what is it that gets Jesus emotional? What is it that hurts him? What is it that upsets him? What is it that breaks God's heart? Because he comes to Jerusalem, and as he looks out upon them, he weeps. What's going on here? Jesus looks out on Jerusalem. Jerusalem here being a symbol a representative of the people of God, the people who he has focused his love and attention and cherished for, since he's created this nation. They will be my people. I will be their God. And here Jesus looks out on Jerusalem and he sees yet again a nation that has rejected him. 
that has rejected the Father. And he sees their imminent destruction. Quite literally, he, he knows that their city will be destroyed. But I think much more concerning to him is their souls, the state of their souls. You're headed towards destruction. And it breaks Jesus' heart to see people that he loves and cherish, cherishes walking towards destruction. See, these people have rejected him again and again. He goes on to tell this parable about rejection after rejection after rejection. And the judgment that comes there afterwards. You are headed for destruction. His heart is broken. And the incredible thing is here, Jesus knows the weak. He knows that he is headed for torture. He said just a, a few verses before about his death coming, that the Son of Man will be delivered over to the Gentiles, will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. He knows what's just about to come, and his heart is consumed and overwhelmed with others, with his people. I don't know what you're like, but I, if I have a tough day, I can be sort of thinking, just give me a day, and then I'll be thinking about other people. Just let me get over this day. Or maybe I'm having a tough week, okay? Just, i just got to get through this week, and then I'll think of others. Perhaps that's what it's like for you for many years. I've got a tough life, okay? I can't think of others. Here's Jesus going towards his impending torture, and his heart is overwhelmed with compassion for the lost. For the broken. That's what consumes him. That's what we're going to see. It consumes him. His zeal for relationship, God and man, it consumes him. That's what he's come to accomplish. That's what drives him. That's his mission. That's his heart. It's not just God said, I've got a mission for you. Okay, what is it? Well, you've got to do this. Okay. I'll, I'll, I suppose so. No, it consumes him. It's, it's, it's what he lives for. He wants to reconcile man with God. And as he sees this, this representative, this symbol, this nation that has turned their heart on God and rejected God, rejected him as he's come in the very presence, the very form of God to man, rejected him again, knowing that they will reject him in a week's time. And he weeps. But he's not weeping for himself. He's not He's not saying, why do they keep rejecting me? It's not fair. God's heart is broken for them. I wonder if you feel sometimes when God looks at me, he, he's angry with me because I don't do well enough for him. He's frustrated with me. He's disappointed with me. Do you know that he weeps for you? He weeps for you. He says, will you not trust me? If you trust me, it's better for you. I've got so much better for you than what you're happy to be content with. We can think he's waiting at any moment to get me. No, he is he's consumed with loving you. I loved Josie's prayer earlier because she said, God, we're sorry for when we sin. And the next line was, and we thank you for your forgiveness. That's what the... That's what the the heart of God is consumed with. I want to reconcile you. I'm not constantly looking at your sin and thinking, do better, do better. I'm saying, I want to forgive you. I want to sort that. I want to bring you back. 
I want to be one with you. So Jesus here is, is heartbroken. And he's heartbroken for us when we, when we reject him, not for his sake, but for our sake. So he enters the city. And the next scene is that he goes to the temple, the very Again, symbol, the place of meeting with God that God has provided for us. Like this, this morning, God's with us this morning. He's with us as we are together. He loves to be with his people, plural. Sure, he loves personal relationship. Yes, but he loves to be with us. And he inhabits our praise, the Bible says. He joins with us. He loves to be with his bride, his body together. And the temple is... Is the equivalent of the place where God meets with man. God's relationship, where, where, where there's supposed to be shepherds, teachers, who are telling people about the glories of God's love and heart towards them. And what he's done, his faithfulness over the years. Look back at how he's brought us over the years. And we're celebrating in this, this um, passage, is the season of Passover, the festival of Passover. And that is the, the whole thing surrounds... Jesus is, sorry, God's faithfulness to the Israelites. That they who were under oppression, they were who were lost, those who were under the, the, the thumb and the oppression of the enemy were brought out. Over the years, this is what the, the, the scribes, the teachers, they were supposed to be sharing the love of God. You notice it says when Jesus went into the temple, he preached the good news. He preached the love of God. He preached the heart of God. And the people hung on his word. What did the Pharisees do? What, what were the teachers of the temple doing? Well, they were making it into a transaction. They were manipulating. Saying this is about religious tradition. You do this, God's okay with you. You pay me this. And they made it into transaction. They made it into a place where it, he called it a den of robbers. A den of robbers where, you know, robbery is different to theft, right? Theft is where you could take something without somebody knowing. Robbery is where you threaten. Where somebody would know, I, I feel threatened. I have, to, I have to give this over, you know. Someone comes at you with a knife. I Give me your wallet. I'm threatened. He calls it a den of robbers. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. What is prayer? It's where you relate with God. Where you, where you speak to him. Where you receive his love. Where you receive his forgiveness. This is what this house is supposed to be. My heart for my people is that they receive God's forgiveness, his love. So Jesus speaks the gospel, but he's angry. He's angry when something comes between the forgiveness of God, the heart of God, the love of God, and the, and the people who he wants to restore. He's brokenhearted when he looks out on the rejection of the people. And then he's angry when he looks on the manipulation and the deceit and the control of the very people who are supposed to be sharing the love, the faithfulness, the joy of being children of God. He threw the tables over. It says in other Gospels more details. He, he made a whip. He, this wasn't Jesus just losing his temper this was calculated. This is not okay. This is not my way. This is the place of the meeting, the meeting place of God with his people. You sometimes make your relationship with God a transaction. You, you're content with that sometimes. As long as I say my prayers before bed, 
he's happy with me. You know, as long as I uh, go to church maybe at least three times a month, you know, keep, keeping him happy, keeping him happy. His desire is for relationship. That's what he's all about. That's what we've been singing about and glorifying in this morning, that he would restore back to us relationship right from the beginning. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, totally unashamed, totally secure. You hate that feeling of being insecure. You just think, I'm not sure what people are thinking of me. I'm not quite sure if I'm doing right by by God in this area. I'm not quite sure. I'm not, I just don't feel settled. Adam and Eve had nothing of that. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Just to know complete peace, complete security. This is God's desire for man, that we would be in relationship with him and completely free from any oppression, from, any, um, from anything that sin has brought to us. And Jesus is angry when he sees You're adding to this. He turns the table over and he gets rid of the people. But then I love this. It says he's teaching in the week, teaching in the same temple daily. I mean, he knows who he is, doesn't he? He's confident. One day he's turning tables. How dare you? What are you doing? And then for the rest of the week, now I will set up my place here and I will teach and I will bring the gospel. I will, I will bring what these sheep need, what these people need. I'll bring them the food that they've been looking for. And they love it. And they are hanging on his word. But the people, the, the leaders, and how does it, it, how does it, what does it call them? The, the priests, chief priests, scribes, and principal men of the people. The representatives of the people before God were cross. They were angry with him. They didn't like it at all, did they? They came to him and they said, by what authority do you do these things? By what authority do you say these things? They, they're effectively saying, who do you think you are? Wait a second, who do you think you are? This is our temple. That's effectively what they're saying. This is our temple. We're in charge here. We're in control here. And Jesus answers them with such skill, such incisive wisdom. He, he speaks so clearly. And, and, he, and he just asks them this simple question about John the Baptist. He says, was John the Baptist baptism from, from heaven or from man? And the reason he's saying that is because if it's from heaven, as it explains for us, if, if, this, if it's from heaven, then they should, they should submit. Because John the Baptist said about Jesus, this is the Messiah. John the Baptist was the one who was most clear about who Jesus is. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. This is the king of heaven. So John the Baptist was, was very clear on who Jesus was. So Jesus is saying, look, who, who do you say that John the Baptist was? Everyone seems to be happy that John the Baptist was a prophet. Who do you say he was? It's a bit like Jesus is saying, they're saying, who do you think you are? And Jesus is saying, who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? That's a serious question. Stop trying to use these questions just to dodge things. That's a, what you've asked me is more important than you can even understand. Who do you think you are? Who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? This is not about... They're, they're so consumed with maintaining control, aren't they? They're so consumed. This is our temple. We're in charge here. 
He goes on and tells this parable, the tenants. And in this parable, he reveals the reality of their choice to reject him. These people that come to the vineyard, and uh, the vineyard is owned not by them. This is the point he's making, that this is not owned by you. This is not your temple. This is the vineyard of the owner. This is the place of the owner. And they come, and these, these servants that come asking for fruit and saying, we need to take some fruit, we need to take what is rightfully belonging to the master, they're beaten, they're rejected, and these are supposed to be pictures of prophets over the ages, prophets who have come to the people of God and called them back to God and said, this is what God, who God is, this is what he wants from you, and they've been rejected over and over and over again. And so now Jesus comes, knowing that he is coming to his death. And he tells in this parable, and finally, they will kill the son of the master. The problem is with these men is that they're desperate to just maintain control at any price. But they're not thinking about what the price is. They've got to hold on. This is our temple. We're in control here. We're in charge here. And we've got to, we've got to bring this to, to our Hearts, haven't we? We've got to question ourselves here. Where do we say, this is my temple? You know, the saying of an Englishman's home is his castle. It's, the point is, I should be able to do whatever I want in my home. It's my home. How easy it is for us to say, I, sh- I should be able to do whatever I want. This is my life. This is mine. God, you can't have that. Why are you telling me what to do here? It's mine. But the point of this parable is, no, no, it's not yours. Your tenants. You're looking after it for somebody else. You're looking after it for the master. God wants us to recognize that when we, when, we, when we trust him for his control, when we trust him that he is a better master, we're looking after it for him, life is to be found. It says in, Jesus says, he who would keep his life, he would hold on to his life, he would hold on to it tightly, will lose it. But he who will give up his life for my sake will find it. Jesus' heart for us is that we trust him, letting go of control. Letting go of, I must have it my way. I, I remember being a youth leader, and, I, and I, um, went, we went to a water park one time. And there was a boy, it was this, one of those great rides, I don't know if you've seen them, where you go down, and it goes into a bowl, and you go round and round and round, and you plop out into the water and after, after a while. And one of the boys was about eight years old, and he, he was scared. He was like, I want to go, I want to go, I'm scared, I'm scared. And we were there, must have been there for hours, but for a, for a while, he, he didn't go. And I was thinking, come on, you're going to love it. I know you will. I know you'll be fine. Eventually, you know, he, he kept going up the stairs, looking. No, nope, going back down the stairs again. Couldn't do it. There, was, there were handles, you know, handles on the, um, when you go on a water slide, you, to pull yourself to go. And it was, it's, it's interesting, like, he would hold the handles and not let go. I can't, can't do it, can't let go. It's like, let go, let go. You can't go down the slide and hold on. You can't do both. You've got to let go to be able to go down. Eventually, he went down, and after that, he went down about 20 times. This is amazing, this is so great. But there had to be that letting go of control, that letting go of the handles. Okay, I'll go. And with these... Priests, these, these owners, these, these, these um, people who are supposed to be sharing the love of God, they turned it into, we'll make it about transaction. We'll make it about our control. We're allowed to offer 
the forgiveness of God on his behalf. No, he, he wanted them to keep sharing the love of God, the, fa- the forgiveness of God, but they were making it in trans- transaction. They were in control, and they hated it when Jesus came along and showed them for what they were. Because Jesus' desire is that people know the free love of God. He was angry with them, and he was dismayed by them because they had chosen such a poor substitute to be content with. Such a poor substitute. They were holding on to control. I want to look at whose party is better because at the end, Jesus comes on to this, the cornerstone. He talks about, he kind of changes the subject. He's talked about these, this parable of the vineyard and the wicked servants and And then he comes on to this statement at the end of our passage today, saying, he looked directly at them. Because he said, look, if you carry on like this, it's going to be taken from you. And they knew what he meant. They got that. You know, it's not just going to be Israel anymore that I have a relationship with. Because you've rejected me over and over again. It's going to be opened up. It's going to be opened up for whoever receives me. That's the point. Whoever receives me. And so he's saying here, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The, the, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They're, they're in the temple, in this place of meeting with God. And they've made it all about hierarchy and power of their own and what they can get out of this. And he's saying, look, you who are supposed to help build and bring the kingdom of God have rejected the very one that it all stands on. It all stands or falls on me. I am the the cornerstone. And and he refers to a psalm which says, "The, the stone that you've rejected is the cornerstone. You don't understand. You think you're safe with your little... Trinkets of power, your little, little things that you're, you're content with, to have control over things, to have control over people, and yet you don't understand. You reject me, you go towards your destruction. Because it all stands or falls on me. Everyone who falls on that stone, and what he means there is everyone who finds it too hard to, to receive me, everyone who f- trips up on me, will be broken to pieces. And excuse me. The one who the one who falls on me will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So you, in this life, you'll be broken if you if you reject me. You will you will you'll be broken to pieces. You're making a terrible choice. You're you're content with secondary things here. But also, there's a judgment coming. Well, actually, there will be a complete crushing. There will be a complete judgment brought one day. Reject him and reject the love and life and welcome, instead, brokenness. That's what he's saying. If you reject me, you're rejecting my love. You're rejecting the life I have to offer, what I came to bring. You're rejecting the heart of God for yourself. But welcome me. And you will find life. Let's find out about that more. Ultimately, 
if you reject him, you'll be crushed under the judgment of your sin. But there is another option. It says this in Isaiah 28. I think we've got the slide. So this is what the Lord God says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will never be shaken. The one who believes will never be shaken. So this is what the Lord God says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will never be shaken. It's not, it's not only reject him, there's another option. It's put your trust in him. And where you would have been crushed, where you would have been broken, instead it is, you will never be shaken. Some translations, they say, you won't regret it. Put your trust in him, you won't regret it. You'll never be shaken. Romans 9.33, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, it's offensive to say, I've got to, lay, I've got to lay everything down. I've got nothing to offer. I can't please God. I've got to trust this one. That's all my hope. It's offensive to me. I want to bring something myself. It's a stumbling block for some. To say, my only hope is Jesus. But it says here, a stumbling and a rock of offense. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. Makes me think a little bit of kids' birthdays parties. I'll explain why. Different age kids' birthday parties. When, when I have a four-year-old and I have, um, I can't remember their ages now, a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. And, uh, and as they get older, the birthday parties change a little bit. The four-year-old goes to birthday parties and all the kids are loving it for about two or three minutes. And then you start to notice some of them recognizing, wait a minute, it's not my birthday. I don't like this. And suddenly it starts to get a bit argy-bargy, a little bit of, I want the attention, a little bit of, why aren't I not getting the present? The cake doesn't have my name on it. And it's that's not fair. I want it to be mine. I want it to be about me. I don't like this. My eldest son's nine. Some of the parties he's been to in the last few years, not so much this year, have been very different. He goes to a party and they hire out a whole... Uh, area, a whole football pitch, and they, go to, they, they, they give each child their own uh, gifts to go home with. You think, it's a different experience altogether. He, he's going thinking, I go to this party and I win. We get a meal, we get presents, we have a fun time. There's a two different experiences there. If it's your friend's birthday, yeah, they still get the glory, they still get the honor, they still get the praise, but they're going to bring you with them because they're your friend. There's two different types of people, maybe even in this room. There's the four-year-olds who believe the only path to satisfaction for me and fulfillment is to take, 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 to scrape and bite and claw. Think, God, I've got to be able to do what I want to do. I don't trust you that you've got my best at heart. I'm going to take. I'm going to have control here. I'm going to put it my way. I'm going to make it my way. It's got to be my way. It's my temple. But there are others who recognize my life's not really mine at all. It's not my temple. It's not really about me. I'm not even the main character in my own movie. The truth is it's all about Jesus. He's the cornerstone. 
He's the one I want to build my life upon. It's his story. It's his world. It's his temple. He gets the glory, but he wants to bring me along. He wants to bring me along. He wants me to enjoy all of the gifts that he's got for me. That's why his heart's broken. That's why he weeps over Jerusalem. Why are you rejecting me? You're rejecting the party. He's the God of heaven. And that doesn't just mean geographically. The destination. Oh, I'm the God of this place. No, he's the God of heaven. What does that mean? I'm the God of no pain. I'm the God of no suffering. I'm the God of no sin, no oppression. I'm the God of total freedom. I'm the God of joy. I'm the God of parties. I'm the God of party where you will know this is ecstasy for the rest of eternity, to be in the presence of God. He's the God of parties. And he wants to bring you along. That's why he's angry in the temple. Stop getting in the way of the party. I've come that they might have life and have it in abundance. Stop taking that away from them. Stop getting between me and God and just making a transaction, just saying, put in these prayers, out comes the Mars bar. It's about me being at one with my people and sharing all that I have for the rest of eternity. That's the difference. Are we four-year-olds saying, I've got to take here. I want to have this. It's not fair. It's mine. Or we trusting is his. But he brings me along for the party. He wants to share it all with me. I don't know what your last, <laughs> last year has been like. In some ways I do. I don't know what you're going through at the moment. But maybe it's hard for you to put that trust in him. To let go of that bar. And really put your hope in him. Maybe you've been finding it hard to trust him because there have been some specific difficulties for you lately. Some things you think, why would God let that happen? It's really hard sometimes. And we can be tempted to snatch back control. Even if we've been faithfully trusting and following him and letting go for years, the the boat can be rocked and we can think, oh, I'm going to snatch back control here. Perhaps if you know you've, you've done that, I just want to encourage you today and I want to implore you, keep going. Keep letting go. Keep trusting him. He promises that he is the strong foundation. If you put your trust in him, you won't be put to shame. If you put your trust in him, he is the solid rock that you can build your life upon. That's what he says. If people, if they listen to my teaching and do what I say, it'll be like a house built on rock. So that wind will come, the waves will come and smash against it, but you'll stand strong. Keep trusting in him. Your trust will be vindicated. It will be. You might be going through a valley. Trust him. Hold his hand. I think it was Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. Hold on to Jesus. Let him take you through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't need to fear evil. He is with you. Your trust will be vindicated. Hold on to the solid rock that you've been placed upon. He is the solid rock. He is the firm foundation. Don't stumble upon him. That's the two options, isn't it? You can either stumble on the rock. Well, three options. You can stumble on it. 
You can be crushed by it or you can stand on it. Jesus wants to call us, keep standing on me. Keep trusting me. You'll find yourself broken. Keep standing on him. You'll find yourself strong if you stand on him. You'll find you're not shaken. You're not put to shame. He loves you. Keep drawing near to him for help. Keep coming to him for peace. He says, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, come to me for rest. Come to me for peace. He holds what you truly, truly need. Father, we just want to recognize, Lord, that your heart is one for us. That your desire, you were consumed. It said zeal for your house, for God's household consumed you. Because your whole mission was to reconcile relationship, bring back God relationship with man. That's what your whole mission was. That's what you're all about, Lord. And I pray, Lord, when we, when we, when we doubt that, when we think, no, you've got something against us, you're holding back, you're withholding something, I'm going to withhold from you. Help us, Lord, to trust you are the firm foundation. You're the one we can stand upon. You're the one we can build upon. You're the one who says, if you put your trust in me, you will not be put to shame. So I do pray, Lord, for those particularly who are going through tough times at the moment and and finding it hard to stand firm on you and saying, I'm going to take back control here. Help them, Lord, to let go. Help them to put their trust in you. And as they do, to find that trust is vindicated. You're a faithful one. You're a faithful God. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.